Hey everyone, welcome back to the Last Word on Sens podcast. This is episode 54 and we got a really good one in store for you. Uh, making his return to the podcast, you know him on Twitter as Defense Minister. Uh, Tyler, how's it going, man? Thank you for joining me. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm really happy to get in and talk Sens uh, this uh, early in the new year. Yeah, it's it's exciting and it's weird that we're already halfway through January, yet uh, it almost feels like there hasn't been a, a ton of Sens stuff to talk about just uh in terms of myself personally, I recorded, I was just telling you, I recorded a podcast on January 4th when they had played the the Sabres and the Blue Jackets. And since then, they've only played three games. It's been a, a slower last week and a half. You know, they they kind of randomly had um, a couple days off in between there. But uh, the schedule definitely starts to pick up again here as we get going as they're playing pretty solidly every other night with a couple back-to-backs mixed in there as well until the end of January. Yeah, that last week was a little unfortunate when they had the two losses in there because it was only two games and it felt like forever between them. You can't uh, pick up and get to the next game, too, which I'm sure they'd love to do uh, when when you have that that stretch. But it's always nice, I think, is is the team and as a fan just to be able to watch them on a a regular basis. Like you said, uh, whether it's every second night or something, it's nice to get into that routine and then uh, you can see things rolling as well. Yeah, I'm sure the toughest person probably after, especially for a couple of those games, would have been Anton Forsberg. You know, the uh, he lets in three goals on five shots against the Seattle Kraken and, and gets the the pullback on January 7th. And he didn't play uh, his next game uh, until – was he in that last – yeah, he was in that last night. So his, his first game back would have been last night because Talbot played against the Predators on the ninth. So that's almost like a full week you got to sit there after just giving up uh, – an absolute stinker against the Kraken. And, you know, I think for a lot of sense fans, that was probably the first time getting to see that Seattle team and, and uh, much like they're doing, or no, maybe not first, the first time this year, I should say. Um, and, and for a lot of teams, I think in the, uh, the league, Seattle's kind of taken them by surprise. You know, this is not the same Seattle team we saw last year. They have way more depth up front. You know, that was really showing by what they were scoring. Um, they still can't really get a save, but Seattle's just playing through it. It doesn't even seem to matter for them. Yeah, I think the Sens got them at the wrong time there because they, uh, they're they on a heater. And, uh, I mean, they, they've been relatively solid all year, but this past, uh, you know, three weeks or so, they've really picked up and they're destroying everyone. They just ran through Canada. Like it was, uh, it was Edmonton and Toronto before, and then they went to Montreal and and, uh, and smoked them as well. Uh, they're not a team. And then they just beat Boston, right? The, the first time on home ice. uh, uh all season for Boston to have a regulation loss. So uh, that was, I think, in a lot of ways, poor timing just because uh, Seattle's built very, in, uh, like, in an interesting way. They don't have a lot of, like, top-end talent. It's almost the opposite of the Sens, right? Because their Sens are super top-heavy when it comes to forwards, at least. And then uh, Seattle just has four lines that are really good. And that when you have that kind of depth and you run into that, that's, I think, what we saw in, uh, in Ottawa's play against them was the the third and fourth lines got run over um, because Otto just can't match up with a team like that. Yeah. Ottawa's got like two first lines and two fourth lines and the fourth yeah. lines aren't even particularly good fourth lines right now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Seattle's got like three second lines and a third line basically on their team. And yeah. it was quite the mismatch. And yeah, I think you almost argue 
uh, Ottawa's had a little bit of bad luck. And I mean, you got to overcome bad luck throughout the year in terms of who they run up against, because they've also ran into a buzzsaw on UC Soros, who is just absolutely on a, a tear right now as well. He is storming back into the uh, top of the same percentage, you know, any expected goals, uh, goal saved above expected, all those metrics. UC Soros has absolutely stormed back after a quick, pretty quiet start to the year for him. Uh, the Sens get then shut out in the next game. I didn't get to watch this game. I uh, saw they got shut out. 38 shots on net, you know, couldn't beat Soros and a 3 nothing loss. Um, you know, again, just a, a tough stretch in terms of it's only two games, but it feels like a lot of times recently with this team anyways, you get two or three really good games and then you get two or three games in a row that just don't look don't look quite right and how you you know maybe want them to look and and that's what's led to uh basically 500 record yeah and the the seattle and the nashville games i think were two different types of games because seattle they they unfortunately they couldn't buy a save and then they ran into a team that just was firing on all cylinders so like there's just a combination of that was not going to be their night and nashville though they 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 could have won that game and and I think they got Soros to that that uh, that matchup. They just could not get one by him, and just the finishing wasn't there. But it was a much much better effort. They 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 looked a lot better. It just it the puck wasn't going in for them that night. Yeah, exactly. And that's you know again the thing is like at least the effort's there. And then you know they go out they start in a road trip here and they're out in uh, Arizona and last night. And I went to bed at the end of the second period, but uh, they they held on. They win five three. Uh, two goals by each team in the third period that I missed. But um, my takeaway from that was just, A, I don't know if you got to watch, but my God, the arena, the lighting in that arena absolutely sucks. I don't know if it's just the camera angle or what the cameras were set up in the arena or what, but the, the lighting was all I could think about at first. But B, uh, a good, well-earned two wins against a team you should be taking two points from. Definitely. Yeah. The, the, the other thing that's weird at that arena because the sight lines is the camera angles are are very strange as well. It has like the, the sense fishbowl lens for the player photos. Seems like that's what they've taken into account and, and threw it out on the ice for when you're watching the game. But I mean, it's, it's at least a unique stadium, if nothing else. And uh, yeah, I mean, especially uh, Keller going out really early, getting the game's conduct. Um, there should have been no reason why Arizona won that game. So you know, the sense were full on to, to earn that victory. And it, it was interesting. They, they made it interesting at the end, but Arizona had a good pushback too. And again, for the most part, Ottawa carried the play there. And and uh, uh, even though they needed an empty netter at, at the end, it was, uh, it, it the score was closer than what the game really was. So. Yeah, and I think that's a good, again, I fell asleep in the third period. I didn't get to watch much of it, but the first two periods, it felt exactly like that too. Like it was 3-1-1 in the second intermission, but like Ottawa dominated play for 90% of those two periods. And it was just a Dylan Gunther snipe that got them, which uh, again, absolutely insane shot. And how many times do we get to watch him release that with Team Canada over the past couple of weeks as well? Um, but yeah, like, so, you know, they're they're on the board now with another win, you know, 5-3, um again that's a team you should be beating they beat it great um I guess the only other thing I really have as a big takeaway from that game is uh so Clayton Keller gets fined 5k today he got obviously missed most of that game um you know with the five minute cross check I wanted to get your take you think he deserved anything more to me I think that's right around what I was expecting he technically missed most of the Ottawa game that's his kind of quote-unquote one game put him on the books for a fine but I wasn't really expecting him to get much more of a suspension than that were you no, I, I actually didn't even think he was going to get a fine. I thought the 
I thought, hey, that looks like a major when when uh, we saw the replay. And then that comes with the game misconduct. So I think, you know, that that for me is more than enough punishment. It's great, especially that it was Keller uh, from the sense perspective that, uh, that took one of their best players out of the, the, the rest of the game. So, yeah, I I uh, I didn't think it warranted any more than that, but it was pretty big. It was right in the throat, too. So you don't really see, see those very often. And I, and I get why it was uh, penalized the way it was. Yeah, it's one of the rare times where I'm willing to give the NHL props for getting it completely right. You know, like definitely a five minute major. That's the correct like ruling there. That's a dangerous play. But I don't think he was trying to cross check him in the face or anything like that. He was just angry. He took a couple slashes in front of the net and did something stupid. And yeah, that happened again. What? Ten minutes into the first. Not if that happens with ten minutes, ten seconds left in the third and it's a meaningless game or the game's already out of hand. Yeah. Then you maybe look and, and he gets a game suspension, but um, yeah, just getting kicked out of that game, I think was definitely fair. I, I, I didn't see any pushback on that either today. I just figured I, you know, a talking point, but um, you know, they're now on to Colorado and that is usually a pretty daunting task. The one thing maybe going for uh, Ottawa is that Colorado is absolutely banged up. They, you know, they're starting to get some bodies back, but they're still missing some, some pretty key players. So it might not be, quite as scary of a Colorado lineup as it, it would be at completely full strength. But um, Colorado into St. Louis was another team that, you know, has been up and down this year, reeling at times and, and just placed a couple guys on IR about a week or two ago in uh, Tarasenko. And I'm actually forgetting who the other one is, but um, so a couple, you know, tough teams, but I would say winnable opponents. Uh, again, you got to take two out of four points here, but honestly, I think you got to start taking like three out of four points in stretches like this. If you're truly wanting the sense to make up some of that ground for playoffs. Yeah, definitely. And it, and like we were talking about the timing was bad for the Seattle game. This is probably ideal timing for uh, hitting up these teams who are, you know, traditionally pretty strong uh, teams and you're playing away. Uh, you know, it's a lot of times you'd be hard pressed, but the Avs, I've watched them lately. They're disjointed. They, I mean, obviously the injuries, are there? I think uh, I saw Nikushkin's. They had an update today, and and they said they they rhymed off all the guys that are hurt: Landeskog, Nikushkin, uh, uh, Byron, Byron. Right? Yeah, yeah. There's and none of them were close. Like the coat, and so uh, you know they're going to have to. I think there's been a couple articles now. Like, are we need are we need to worry about the abs this season? Like, are are they in a tough spot? So. Always hard going into uh, to Denver with the altitude issues and stuff like that that uh, you have to deal with. But if you're rolling, like if the Sens are playing well, there's no reason why in either of those games they, they can't uh, pull out wins. Like you said, if if they can even get an extra point in a loss or something like one of those, then uh, I think that's something that they definitely should be aiming for. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's funny. I uh, I go back and forth. I, I kind of get a chuckle out of the people who do standing watches right now in terms of, you know, like it, it almost feels like it's a standing watch to make playoffs at the end of the year, but it's to catch the uh, Buffalo Sabres who are fifth in the division. But then I go back and, and that's kind of what a fan is supposed to do, right? Like you're, you're supposed to be, it, it's good that fans are more invested in that still than not. So I try not to laugh too much, but it, it is kind of funny. But in all seriousness, like if they want to make playoffs, you know, or even, you know, even if you want to say playoffs is a little out of reach, the whole thing of being competitive in March, which I think was the goal, regardless if you saw this team as a playoff team or not as a playoff team. I mean, 
they need to jump the Panthers, who they are one game ahead or one point behind, but Panthers have played two more games. Uh, the Sabres, they're also one point behind, but the Sabres have one less game played than the Senators. And the Red Wings in their own division, who they have two less points, and the Red Wings have played one less game. Um, so they're right around with those three teams. But then on the other side as well, you have the Islanders, who are six points ahead of the uh, Sens, two games more played. Uh, and the Flyers are now tied with the Sens with one more game played. And um, I get like the Flyers have been sneaky hot recently. They're seven, three, and oh, I wouldn't have guessed that. But again, like that's just kind of why I kind of where we are, I think, right now, where it's like if you need to go on a streak just to beat the Philadelphia Flyers in 2023, it's pretty tough. But like that's just the truth of it all. Like the Ottawa Senators are they're quote unquote only seven points out of a playoff spot, which is true, but there's also about six or seven teams right in that mix. So it's not quite as easy as just, hey, three wins and we're right back in the playoff mix. Yeah. There's like it's like there's tiers, right? Every year uh of as you go through the regular season. And there's a teams that are kind of cemented in playoff spots. They're out of the wild card mix and you know they they tend to stay around and they'll jockey with each other. And then there's a group, there's the wild card teams, and then you know, the call it the three to four teams in the conference below them that are all fighting that. And you throughout the year you you kind of flip back and forth, but it's always within like four or five points of each other, right? And all you need to do, it's stupid to say take care of you know what you can take care of and take and it, it'll tend to come out at the end of the day uh in your favor but if they go you know you put together a six or seven game winning streak which is completely uh doable right at some point you can you can put yourself in that position but you need to be you know the, the team that's hottest out of that that group of you know the the, the four or five teams that you mentioned uh, you need to do that, and you're not going to get any separation. It's going to be like this for the for the rest of the the season. And I think they're right in thinking, hey, maybe playoffs themselves, barring you know some really uh, insane play, it might be a little out of the realm of possibility. But to be in the mix, to be playing what they want to say, meaningful games uh, at that time of the year, I don't I don't think they're they're going to be out of it the rest of the time. And that's why when we start talking about trade deadline stuff, uh, I think they they feel like, Hey, we're not going to, we're probably not going to fall, you know, 10, 12 points back. We'll probably be in the, let's call it between five and, and seven points back over the next month. And if we make a run, maybe we're even closer. And that's enough for a lot of teams to, you know, say they're still in it and, and make moves accordingly. Yeah, and so that's the standings exactly what I want to bring up because, you know, now this week there's been enough rumors swirling around about what the Sens might do going forward here. And one of the things that's already kind of come clear is there was a report that came out that they don't really plan to be sellers at this deadline. Um, and I think that's a fair, like, that's fine because they've been sellers for what, like five years now. They don't have much to sell unless you're t- unless some team's offering you, like, some draft pick you can't refuse for Tyler Mott then sure, you know what, go ahead. But even then, I'd, I'm fine if they want to keep this roster through the deadline um, and just kind of see what they can do with it. The one thing I'd be a little worried about is buying to, you know, try and save their position. And I say that just because, you know, I don't know if they will or not. You know, there's been talk about should they, would they, all that good stuff. Matt Dumba's been a name that has been recently linked, um, you know, as 
obviously he's a he's an upcoming upcoming UFA in Minnesota. We all know Minnesota's cap troubles and whatnot. Um, so you know it makes sense that they try to mo- look for a mover for him, and and obviously then you already you automatically make the connection on the blue line. Um, we can get to Matt Dumba specifically in a second as well, but I think you know unless you're buying a piece that is staying with the team for multiple years, which is obviously a little different. I would not want to see this team go out and buy just because even if you do get that insane playoff run, I'm not sure, or sorry, insane run to get to the playoffs, I should say. I'm still not really sure what they do in the playoffs. So spending what I would assume is big assets to go do that just wouldn't make sense to me. Again, if it's, I have no idea because the problem is the defensive market is so stingy right now. But if you could get a guy who is technically an upgrade on Travis Hamannick for your right side and all it costs you is a fourth round pick or a third round pick, maybe I'm okay with that. But I would try to avoid, you know, when I hear buying, I'm thinking prospects, first round picks, second round picks, unless it's for a guy who is in his mid 20s, like the Dabrinka trade is a perfect example. Unless it's a guy who's in his mid 20s who actually fits the core. I cannot see how this team can justify buying for their life. Yeah. And the, the one thing I, I've felt like for a while is that uh, they going back even to the off season had the intention of dealing some futures for, for defensemen, right? Like th- that's almost baked in. They have in their mind sort of said, I don't know which prospects slash picks they are comfortable parting with, but I think they're, there's a segment of of whatever future assets they have that they they sort of said, well, we would still like to add to the existing roster, and and we're okay with giving that up. And you know, as the season goes further and further along, to me, that makes less sense <laughs> to to still have that that mindset. But I think I can, you know, you can sort of read between the lines when they provide comments around that stuff. You hear their interest in in certain players, but to find a long-term solution uh, on D, especially in January, I don't know where that is. You're, you're, right now, you're talking about rentals for the most part. And so if you've moved into that area, then it, it's harder to find the, you know, the right match that, that would really make a whole lot of sense. And, uh, you know, we, we've yet to really see their their if the pro scouting philosophy has has changed a whole lot with defensemen uh because we can talk about Matt I'm a bit that that if that's the sort of the hey we should really target this guy it doesn't uh you know give you a lot of confidence that maybe they they figured out you know what is going to be you know the successful makeup of the decor you know long term yeah, honestly, like, you know, going after Matt Dumba, who was a great player in his prime, but just he hasn't been, you know, who we think of Pete Matt Dumba as for, you know, at least a season or two now. And I'm sure there will be a market for Dumba out there. He, he's, uh, again, uh, coming up on a UFA, but he makes six mil this year. And so, you know, the way that contracts eat away, that'll be less as the deadline comes in. So Ottawa is a team that would easily be able to fit him under the cap. But yeah, like, it's just... He's not having a very good year. He's also not really what the Senators need. I think even at like peak Matt Dumba, you know, and I don't know. I've never, I'm not one who is usually too against having like too many good offensive players. Uh, I think you can usually make that work. And I think sometimes it's 
a bit of a silly narrative, but like Matt Dumba hasn't been a good defensive player maybe ever in his career, but for sure not recently. Um, so I don't yeah. even know. And and he's he's kind of lost his scoring touch recently as well. So I just don't really know. Like, that's not the proper use of assets for a rental. And assuming you're acquiring for more than a rental, that really scares me because he's he'd be 29, already on the decline. And I can't imagine he'd be looking for a contract that pays him less than what he's earning right now. So yeah, yeah that that's a name that I think... I don't think the reports were too serious more. They just kicked tires on them, but I would be staying away from that at all costs. If I, was I, I thought the same. Cause I mean, I figured they're talking to everyone all the time about defensemen. Right. So, so, so kicking tires is fine. Uh, I did hear Bruce report during the intermission. House that, that Dorian went to a, a wild game last week, which, you know, is a little concerning if, if you're like, you don't do that unless you're, you're a little bit further along in the process to to maybe target with the GM goes and scouts games. Uh, I know that he just loves to scout games in general, but uh, that sort of leads me to to think that they they really do see that as a potential option. Uh, the other thing that's weird to me is I don't even think that's a DJ player. I, like, does if you asked him who would you want, he'd want a big tall guy that hit people, right? Like that that would be his ideal. Um, you know, missing piece because I think he's sort of hinted at during the season that they don't really have anyone like that. That 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 might be the element that they're missing in Decor. Now, whether or not that's necessarily the right strategy, I don't know. But I just you know, you probably want to get someone the coach would be happy with inserting in. And I'm not entirely sure that's that's Dumba. And for the reasons you said, it, to me, they can't afford. To resign someone like that, no, it probably they, they have like they don't have the allocation right? for salary past this year, after especially after signing Zoop, right? So you know what you you've got there, and you know that Jake Sanderson is is not a fluke. It's not a you know somewhere that that maybe there's going to be a ton of growing pains. He's going to be a legit guy that when his contract's up, is going to get a lot of money. And that's, you know, he's got one more year in his entry level. So that's coming sooner rather than later. And you're not getting rid of Shabbat. So you cannot give, I don't think you can give a guy $4 million, uh mm-hmm. to be that defenseman. I, I think that's got to be, you know, someone that's performing above their, their salary that you've kind of pinpointed somewhere. Uh, you're getting good value out of. You can't go and get an overpaid guy. And that's what Dumba is at this point in his career. Yeah, absolutely. I was just saying, I'm kind of kidding, but if they're scouting a right-handed D in Minnesota, I'd almost rather be Alex Goligoski. <laughs> you know, like and, and he's kind of more like Nick Holden West, though. So I, I, uh, I kind of kid. Like I, I'd be a little worried about his age, just in terms of if he could play top four minutes. But yeah, like absolutely. I, it's just it's frustrating because it's one of those things where it's like. Yeah, like I get there's not many options, but we knew there wasn't that many options heading into it. And that doesn't change the fact that like, but like that's why everyone was screaming, okay, you got to get rid of Zaitsev or you got to get rid of Hamannick. You can't have both these guys on your roster or the right-hand side of the D is just not going to look good. You know, and that was even before Jube fell across some injuries this year because there's been some really 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 thin times on that right side of the blue line where it's like oh my gosh just close your eyes like it's been bad so 
yeah, it's one of those things where I get they're not in a good or it's a tough situation, but it's like we we knew this was going to be a tough situation going forward, right? Like it's not like this should have snuck up by surprise on anyone in the front office either. Yeah. And I, I think they'd be, um, I'm not the only one saying this, but I, I think they'd be uh, doing themselves a favor by trying to integrate JBD a little bit more right now, to, just to see, is there potential in this guy being someone we can slot in in the top four, uh, you know, or or at least he's on his way to doing that because you're going to have to make some decisions this off season and he's cheap. He's the guy you develop. Like that would be ideal. If you don't have to go outside and go overpay a free agent, you're much better off, but you have to know you can't just guess and say, well, I don't know if, if he's going to be there or not. So it'd be nice to see more games that they're, that they're putting him out there uh, for us. So maybe we'll see that soon. And, and you never know injuries do. Um, pop up so uh we, we might see that as the year goes on as well yeah that's been a common maybe critique is the right word i'd say of i've had of this coaching staff over the past couple of years is i feel like they do eventually get to that kind of decision it just feels like it's a month or two too late for me you know like it's or not even like just it could have happened a month or two sooner like as of right now like i totally agree i'm sure we could get to the trade deadline and then you know, they go, oh, well, we are technically out of the playoff race. So let's see what JPD is. It's like, well, you're 18, 17, and three right now. You're not tearing up the league with an untouchable roster. You know, like Nick Holden hasn't been that good. If you love Travis Hamannick for whatever reason that much, Nick Holden hasn't been that good that he can't sit a couple games so you can get JBD on the right side there. You know, like it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, I, I do think they will give him some time, but yeah, I just, for whatever reason, it kind of always seems to happen like six to eight weeks later than it feels like it probably should. Because I, I totally agree. It's it, this isn't a lost season, but it's not like the right side has been so good and untouchable that you can't experiment with a guy who has much higher upside and probably not that much lower of a floor overall than what you're playing right now. Yeah, exactly. I, I think uh, you know they, they do they do seem to see a future for him here. It's just. I think it's a matter of is he a bottom pairing guy or or can he actually play up in your top four and be effective? Or maybe you're not going to figure that out for a bit, but this is the time to at least get more data, right? Like yeah. let's let's see and find chemistry with part of I am I think I'm going to still be here waiting at the end of the season to see Jake Sanderson play with someone else besides Travis Hamanek because uh that that seems to be for whatever reason it's locked in. Uh, there will never be a change unless one of those guys gets hurt uh, where they don't get thrown out there. And I would just like to see how it looks with someone else, like for like three games, try, try something else and just see what that looks like. And then at least you have a basis of comparison. And I don't know if they're considering bringing him it back. I feel like that this is a, you know, by the end of this season, that'll, that'll be it for him, but maybe they, they do, but you'd like to know if, if whatever you like about him right now, is that, because he's doing what he's doing or is that because he's playing with a really great partner right and, and, I, and I that's, think that... that's the thing it's so i don't i don't actually have the time on ice figures here but their with and without numbers are staggering so jake sanderson and travis hammond together according to natural stat trick expected goals for percentage 52.45 very good very solid right you know can't ask much more of a second pair jake sanderson without travis hammond 57 and a half percent 
So that's like elite of the elite. Like you're not doing that over a full season. If you are like, you're having one of the best years of a defenseman, you know, that season, Jake Sanderson or Travis Hamannick without Jake Sanderson, 47%. So now you're a below average defender and that fits the eye test in my opinion, right? Like, yep. Yeah. He's, uh, I, I'm, there are benefits. I, I get it to pairing a rookie like Sanderson with a veteran like Hamnick. I think he's learning, uh, you know, how to play in the NHL, and and Hamnick has good work ethic and 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 does a lot of those things. So I think he's getting for that. But at some point, um, you know, the on ice partnership, um, he he's moved well past that, and Hamnick's on the on you know going downhill, right? So, um. You know, you're just prolonging that particular um, partnership that's that's not going to be a long-term partnership. So uh, I feel like they would be, if they're trying to evaluate certain things, then it's good to know, uh, have a bigger sample size of them without not playing with each other. Shabbat plays with every guy in a team pretty well. You know, what, why Why does Jake Sanderson not, not allowed to have another partner ever? Exactly. And if you're that worried for, like, I don't know why you would be anyways, but if you're, you can't, for whatever reason, it's a, a rule, you can't have two under 23 players on the same defense pair. Put Zoot down with Jake Sanderson. Yeah. Let them be your absolute shutdown pair that eats all the hard minutes and put JBD up with Shabbat as a guy who can help beat him the puck and let them just go absolutely wild on second pair match or on uh, second line matchups. Yeah, it it seems to me like Zubin Sanderson as a pairing is inevitable, right? Like that, it's probably next year, but uh, that that seems to be where things would go. And you're right, they would take all the matchups, the, the hard, uh, the defensive zones, and the, uh, the and they're they're well set up to do that. Zub's a perfect complementary defenseman, right? He'll he'll let Sanderson do what he needs to do, and uh, they'll eat tons of minute. That that'll be the thing, and then you can figure. out out then who's best with Shabbat and give Shabbat a little bit of a break and uh, give him more ozone starts, have have him, you know, work with a partner that really compliments him well uh, at the same time. So it's for me, I'm just sitting here around waiting and I know it's going to be essentially the whole season I'm waiting because I, I don't see anything on the horizon that's going to change their strategy with with those pairings, but we're slowly but surely morphing this decor into what we all believe it it, it can be. It's 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 getting there, <laughs> but uh, there's still some remnants of of uh, you know decisions that that they they feel like they need to make, and uh, you know having a, one extra guy in to to be able to circulate top four. I'm not even opposed to Travis Hamnick coming back and playing in the third pair next season at a lesser price than what he's he's signed to right now he's fine like in that role if you yeah, want to put him in there and you want him to be like your warrior penalty killer guy that uh that blocks shots and and uh you know does that, that thing in the bottom pairing go for it if that's what you really want but uh stop putting him <laughs> with uh uh you know guys that really need to uh eat minutes and, and play important matchups. Yeah. He's just, he's five years past eating the big matchup. That's not who Travis Amonick is anymore. And mm. it just, it, it feels like you're trying to, what is it? Put a square peg into a round hole by trying mm. to feed, feed him into those matchups. Right. So, yeah. um, all right, let's go. We're going to do some, some of the fun here. Uh, mid season awards for the Ottawa senators. So 
you know, as I mentioned, I believe they're at the 41 game mark. They might be at 40 games. I think tomorrow night, actually. No, they're 41, right on the dot. So halfway through, we have seen half of this Ottawa Senators year. Uh, kind of weird to think it's already halfway there, to be honest. But um, so we're going to do some awards. Uh, we are going to go through the best forward, uh, best defenseman, the best rookie, uh, team MVP, and then the most surprising player this year. I didn't give you a definition for most surprising because I wanted to, to just see where you went with it. So um, let's start with the uh, best forward, I guess. We'll, we'll, we'll go there. I think definitely a couple to choose from. You know, obviously there's been the whole top six has been very uh, uh you know, very pleasantly surprising um, or expected maybe even is the right word. But uh, where did you go here for the best player, uh, best forward on the Ottawa Senators? Yeah, this one was tougher because it really just, it came down to uh, uh, Timmy and Brady. And I think that's what, uh, you know, most people would have. And I'll give honorable mention to Giroux uh, just because he's been great. But uh, I went with with, uh, Brady, um, and I'll give Timmy his props because he's been amazing this year. But uh, I think the consistency, first off, uh, because he hasn't missed any time and Brady doesn't tend to miss time. Uh, which I continue to find amazing based on his style of play that he, and I, I hope that guys like uh, Ridley Gregg and, and Tyler Boucher uh, can look at Brady as a template to the, like a physical player that plays the game and, but doesn't get hurt doing it because that's the problem with those guys is that they go, you know, falls to the wall, play well, and then uh, wreck their shoulder and are out for a month. And Brady doesn't do that. The other thing that I really liked about, uh, Brady this year is that we've seen the skill set um, expand for him. He's always been a good passer. I've liked his bet, but they were always kind of like short uh, around the net, nice touch passes. He's been, uh, you know, whether it's stretch passes, whether it's like cross ice passes uh, in the zone, his decision-making has been uh, amazing. And he's starting to score also from further out. Like it's not these things where uh, – you know, he's jamming a puck away or tipping it in front of that. Most of his goals are coming from, you know, uh, the the face-off dot or, or or out. And his shot is beating the goalie, like clean in a lot of cases as well. So there's not, I don't know the holes in his game, <laughs> right? Like there, there's not many things that he doesn't do well. So I, I just thought he was, uh, you know, a great choice. And, and I've been happy with everything he's done. So you can't really ask for more than what he's given the team so far. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a fair pick, and I'm I'm happy you made it because I uh, I went just the I went the other way. I went with Tim Stutzla. Uh, I think you can easily make the argument for for Kachuk. You know, um, again, everything you lined out, I, I totally agree with. He's been everything you can ask for and more. And his shot has been something that's really surprised me from Kachuk. You know, like obviously there's the the J Fresh graphic of him with zero percent finishing, and I just kind of chuckle. And like, it's it, the the reason it is that is because he likes to jam. Like, he jams a lot of rebounds around the pad, so obviously his stats are going to be a little bit inflated with that. But you know, how many times have we seen him come down down the wing this year and take us an absolutely nice shot above the goalie glove or whatever? It's been a nice touch to see added to the game, or maybe something he had there all the time, but just showing him a little more. Um, yeah, I think Kachuk is absolutely amazing season. Uh, I went with Tim Stutzla, second in the league, uh, in the team in points. Kachuk's first with 41 and 41. Stutzla's 39 and 37. Uh, he's got 18 goals, 21 assists. Um, what's really impressed me is they're using Stutzla a lot this year. You know, he's averaging 20 minutes, 20 minutes and 30 seconds uh, per game on on the ice at uh, all strength. That ranks uh, 
First among all sends forwards and fourth on the team, Shabbat, Zubin, Sanderson all rank above that, which makes sense as defensemen. Um, but yeah, the, the team's like DJ Smith is trusting him in all areas. Um, I noticed the other night, I don't know how long this has been happening, but he's starting to take some penalty kills as well. Uh, he was out there against Arizona on the penalty kill. And um, I kind of like that. Like, I don't need him blocking shots, but his speed is a, a nice, dangerous weapon. I think that they, they've lacked at times this year. Yeah. I, I have no qualms with Timmy being the top, top forward, because like I said, he's been amazing this year. I agree completely. Um, the all situation stuff, the way that's expanded throughout the season, that's amazing to see. I mean, that's uh, when you want your first line center to be a guy who can play in all situations that the coach trusts, uh, not just to score a goal, but to, to be able to prevent. I've always been a proponent on the penalty kill to have uh, high scoring forwards play because they're so dangerous. They disrupt the, the penalty. Anyone can, you know, wave their stick around and try and get in lanes and block shots like that. That's fine. But when penalty kills are, are really effective is when they have someone like that out there. And, and if they want to continue, I'm happily surprised. I didn't think DJ would consider uh, to me. I feel like it's because they have, their options have been so diminished on the penalty yeah. kill with the injuries and whatnot. So he just went with them and you can see how much of a difference that makes. So yeah, huge fan. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's just been really nice where it's like, and I, it just got to a point. And honestly, it was kind of like this at the end of last year as well. But I've just gotten to a point where it doesn't really matter who he's playing with. I just kind of have faith his line is going to be solid. Um, and it's been nice that he's gotten to play with better line mates this year than obviously what he had at times last year. But it's just been, yeah, one of those things where he's taken that step where it's like, oh yeah, no, like he is a very, very good player. He's got, um, you know, like at five on five this year, he's 58% expected goals for, which is kind of crazy. You know, only Kachuk is at 59%. And then Norris, who has only played five games, is at 60%. Uh, Jacob Lucini actually is at 65 through nine, <laughs> uh, which is that's off to him. Um, but yeah, no, like Stitz has just been absolutely amazing. He's done everything the team's asked for this year. And um, like, I keep, he reminds me so much of Jack Hughes in terms of like, the way their, their, their progress has developed and, and uh, you know, both high picks, both highly touted, came into the league, looked good, but, you know, there was definitely some room to grow. Uh, Stutzler, uh, consistency was obviously a massive thing, and even his underlying numbers weren't very strong as an 18-year-old, but uh, as years got, like, every year, he's just gotten better and better, and I, I really do think, you know, if it's not even happening this year, you could argue, but I think next year we could see a breakout like Jack Hughes having this year where it's like, it's no longer, can he get 70 points in 82 games? It's can he hit 90, 95 in 82 yeah. games? Yeah. You'd love to see that, that progression where he's in, you know, the rarefied, the superstar status, right. When, when you get there and there's no, no reason to, to doubt that that's something that can eventually come for him. Uh, I, what I've really noticed this year, and it's been the case in other years too, but even especially this year, is he's a zone entry machine. Like, and that you're wondering why sometimes the power play get is going so well. Whether there's a, one of the things is that I think they're really good at face offs. So they're winning the draw and getting possession off the and able to set up off a lot of power plays. But when they don't, it's usually him that's that's doing the entry on the power play and uh, and getting in effectively. And that's such a uh, like an underrated skill. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's. Uh... His play with the puck has just been absolutely amazing. And just the way he can hold the puck while rotating around his own too, and just kind of find an open man has been so much fun to watch. Like he's just, and again, like he's doing all this while being, you know, 
I don't think he's been a stud defensively or anything, but he hasn't been bad by any means at all. Like he's not winning a Selkie anytime soon, but you know, he's been solid defensively. So to be that good offensively, just already adequate defensively and doing it all before your second contract even kicks in. I mean, the sky's the limit for this guy. Yeah. And and that's the last thing that typically comes right. Is your defensive where, when you're a, you know, an offensive centerman like that, that tends to be thing that, that, takes a couple of years in the league and maybe, you know, three or four years before, before you're really, really comfortable with that. So I feel like that's a skill he can, he can work on and, and get up to the same levels as other skills as well. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, let's move on to uh best defenseman. I mean, this one seems pretty easy, but I wanted to give, I wanted to give uh, him his dues anyways. Uh, Thomas Shabbat, best defenseman for me. Uh, he is 12th among all defensemen by goals above replacement. Uh, from evolving hockey here and what's even more impressive about that is he's about six less games than most of the players ahead of him right now just due to the fact that he missed a handful here or there this year uh he's been absolutely amazing again I almost feel like he's been underappreciated at times in Ottawa this year just like how good he is because he stepped in and was so good right away that it's almost just a baseline standard we expect but he's been just really really solid this year yeah I I would agree I I, I could, you know, if I wanted to be contrary, I could I could throw Sanderson in the mix there as, as a name. But, like, really, uh, Shabbat's taking uh, the toughs. He's been asked to, to play with a multitude of partners, uh, oftentimes not great ones. Like, he gets – if Zaitsev's in the lineup, a lot of times we're like, well, I'll just go play with Shabbat, and, you know, <laughs> and, and he does it. I think there's been stretches this year, um, like say like a, a two three week stretch where he's turned it up even and I think that has to do sometimes with ice time we've talked about that a lot throughout the years if if you can keep his ice time down a little bit a few minutes in a game then you really see the benefits of that he because I think when you say some people take him for granted or they might have something it's because sometimes uh the decision making sometimes he'll juggle the puck and things like that and that's just for me it's fatigue right yep. it, he can do it like he he's got the legs to to play 30 plus minutes a night but anyone doing that eventually you know you're going to have some some spots where where uh you know you're not 100% focused or, or or what have you and he he's such a trooper he'll he'll go and do that if you really want to see him take off and even take up a level, uh, keeping him, you know, and I think that's what we'll eventually see with, with Sanderson taking on some of those matchups uh, in his pairing that, uh, that, that you'll see more growth there with Shabbat that uh, he'll be, you know, someone that's thought of in, in, you know, in the top five, 10 D in the, in the NHL. Yeah, absolutely. Like Shabbat's at his best when he's allowed to be a bit of a rover. And like even last night, he had a play where he jumped up, made a pinch, and that I think it was almost on a penalty. Might have even been on a penalty kill or just coming off of one. And you know, he drove a two on two, and that created a chance back the other way. If you're playing on thirty minutes a night or whatever, he just doesn't have the legs to capable. No one has the legs to do that, right? And yeah, it reminds me a lot of what uh, Minnesota came across oftentimes with Ryan Suter back in the day, where they would play him too much where his numbers would actually dip simply because, and I didn't watch Minnesota games, but from people who said watch Minnesota games, they know this guy's still really good. It's just when you play a guy 31 minutes a night and then 28 minutes the next night, he just can't go 100% every shift 
or you're going to physically collapse off the ice, you know, like, and it's the same with Shabbat where it's like, yeah, when you're playing him 28, 30 every night, of course there's going to be more mistakes because he's playing double the amount as most of the other guys that are playing during the night. Right. So it's one of those things where, yeah, absolutely. I think that I'm glad to see it's already starting to come down, but I think as Sanderson keeps progressing and, and Smith gets a little more confidence, we're going to see it keep balancing more where they both get closer to maybe 25 minutes a night. And that is where you're going to see the best Thomas Shabbat. That is 100%. And I also think that uh, Shabbat gets underrated on the power play. That, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because they have so many great weapons on there, you, you kind of forget about him a bit. But when the power play is rolling, it's usually because of him. Yeah. It's it's what he's doing at quarterbacking at the, the top of the umbrella, uh, feathering through the passes. And he does so many... Uh, great thing. Sometimes it's a little more subtle, so you're not you're not seeing it. But to get free and, and to be able to, to, you know, a lot of saucers that are that are over to the to the the guys doing one timers on the on the other part of the the umbrella. He's the the straw that stirs a drink on on the power play as well. Yeah, one hundred percent. And like, I don't think of him as someone who's got like a an absolutely wicked shot, but I think his shot is perfect for the power play in terms of. If you're, you have to respect it enough because if he gets his head up, he's going to put a shot that's about three feet off the ice that can, is a danger to get tipped in front as well, right? Like he's not sitting there winding up a clout bomb or anything like that. Yeah. Like he's not the Shea Weber of old or anything like that, but yeah. it's dangerous enough mixed with his passing that it's a perfect element. Yeah. He, ha he doesn't have an amazing shot or anything, but uh, the thing that, uh, you know, the way power plays run now, you know, especially ones with the umbrella, which pretty much every team that that's how they run their power play. You don't rip those point shots anymore. That's not it's what the power play is built for. That it's it's designed for him to dish off a one timer to a guy on the tip of the umbrella. Yeah. So he's got to be a distributor more than anything. Um, yeah, you'd love a guy that that who is Shea Weber as far as slap shots go anymore now. Uh, I, I don't know how many guys that are, are out there that, that are really adept at, uh, you know, firing in from uh, like point shots like that anymore, regardless. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, let's move on to the next one. I left goalies out here just because I kind of, I don't know, like they're both kind of sad. Have you had an opinion of Talbot or Forsberg? They felt both kind of the same to me. They both had a couple hot streaks, a couple cold streaks. When maybe when we get to surprises, we'll we'll talk a bit. Okay, there. yeah, perfect, sure, yeah, that that works perfectly. Because yeah, I kind of left them out because they've been I don't know pretty similar to me, but uh, that that'll be a good one. Um, all right, let's go best rookie then. Again, to me, an easier choice, but I do think there's obviously another guy you can give some love to. Uh, who who did you have for best rookie? It's Sanderson. I mean, I know that that uh, we can talk about Pinto for sure. Uh, even I, I'll throw a little bit of love to Kaslik, who in another year, uh, if they didn't have the you know uh, these other great rookies in the lineup, you, you could talk a bit about what he's done in his role. But uh, I, even if you had the highest expectations possible for Jake coming into this season, I don't know if you would have believed that he would have looked, he looks like he's played in the league for 10 years. And I don't know how you do that as a defenseman, especially. And he hasn't even played He never played a pro game, right? Like he didn't even play in the AHL. He came right from, from college. Right. Yeah. And to me, that's, uh, that's why I like, 
that it makes me so excited about next year, right? Uh, what what he's if he's able to integrate himself so clearly here, I could maybe uh, count or recollect, you know, mistakes he's made on one hand this year. You know, where you could say, oh, that wasn't you know the the best decision or or what have you. What a gaff. He almost always makes the right choice. He's so smart. And I think it's going to be a lot like his college career where he started out being more of a defensive presence and and really uh, playing really good with his gaps and and he could play one-on-one with everyone. And then as his college career went on, he's, they said, do you want to you know play some offense? And he'd go down and he'd cycle down low and he, he'd get in and, and join the rush. So as he gets more confident as an NHL player, I think we're going to start seeing that as well, which is which is really exciting. Yeah, it, it has to be Jake Sanderson. I mean, again, enough can't be said. Like, as you mentioned, I think going into the year, like, the expectations were so high. It's like, oh, yeah, he's going to, like, be that second pair D-man. And it's like, okay, well, like, even asking him to be a number four is quite the task for a lot of guys stepping into the NHL fresh out of college at 19 years old. He is blown past that. He's been a number two, like, fringing on a number one. And, again, not to absolutely rip on Hamannick, but he's doing this with a partner that I wouldn't – Consider particularly helpful is not the right word, but on ice, definitely not that helpful, you know, like it's, but as you said, he's just so smart with the puck. It absolutely does not matter. Um, You know, I did watching him live was so much fun. I got down for two games to watch him live and it's just like, you can just see the decision-making going on in his head and he just makes the right play every time, even if he's under pressure. And it's just, that's so much different than we're used to seeing from guys who like, get some pressure on them, just throw a bomb off the board or off the glass or whatever and turn over possession. It's like, and not only does he do the little things right, he's got the talent to do the big things. As you said, I have no doubt his offensive game will come into play. And I know that because like there's been times this year where he looks dead in his own end and he'll just put a three line pass to the opposite blue line of a winger on a breakout. It's like, how do you even see that play being able to, to progress, but he'll just put it take to take right to the player and they'll get a great break in. And, you know, like the amount of times he's done that, even the goal last night against Arizona, he started the first one by just zipping a pass up to Brady, who was on the far blue line. And his, I just, I cannot talk good enough about it. As you said, he does not make mistakes. It's amazing. He looks like a veteran already. And yeah. I'm just so excited to see what he can do next because yeah, like they're, to me, obviously anyone can have a bit of a sophomore slump or whatever, but this isn't him just riding a high shooting percentage or getting lucky with a high save percentage, high PDL. He is earning and deserving the results he's getting. And to me, that is great news to only improve upon. Yeah. I'm wondering what uh, the Calder chances are for him because um, I think it's one of those ones where the numbers don't jump out at you. Unless like, if you're looking at underlying it's like, Hey, that's, that's really good for a top four, but it's, for him, he's probably best appreciated when you're watching him constantly and seeing how solid he is overall. But I don't know for Calder voters if that's necessarily what what they'll uh, you know go to like a nomination. For me, for anyone coming in first year in the league and playing top four minutes and doing it well, that that should be enough to secure a nomination. Uh, but we'll see. I guess I'm I'm not sure how how that'll uh, all play out. The other thing I think that probably hurts him for a Calder vote is Owen Powers doing a very similar thing. And if Buffalo, like Buffalo looks like a bit better of a team this year, I mean, they're about equal, but you know, if Buffalo ends up 
finishing ahead of Ottawa in the standings. That might hurt Sanderson's case. But yeah, I did my uh, on my other podcast. I did uh, the awards for you know league round, and, and we voted. And uh, both my co-host and I had Sanderson two, Power one, and then uh, Beniers was three for both of yep. us as well. And I think Beniers is going to be probably the guy that takes away a lot of those votes votes yeah. because he's got the point totals right. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's typically, I mean, that's an easy nomination, right? He's getting there and he's probably winning, right? And if he if he continues to have the season he's having, there's probably no no doubt that he is. But I'd love to see a nomination, at least for him to to be in there because I think he he really deserves it. I mean, we, we shouldn't probably uh not mention Pinto at all here, because I think uh one of the things is it was a hot start, right? And you've mm-hmm. seen at least the production, uh not not keep up with that pace which was kind of silly to start with it was a really high shooting percentage that that had him net all those goals at the start of the year but he's been asked to do like again that's not what they envisioned for him to be playing top six minutes as a rookie right like that's that's not uh probably the best place for him to succeed at, at this point in his career and uh had he been insulated in on a third line role um with sort of steady line mates for the majority of the season i think and with, with some power play time mixed in there a little bit but uh i think you'd really see um more consistency there because you know at times he's he's been i think he he's a little bit invisible um but you can see the talent that's there and uh you know i don't have any um you know issues with with what he's going to be long term. I think that uh, he's a great player and, and and someone who's who's having a great team being asked to to do something that he probably uh, is not quite ready to do at this point. Yeah, I think if you went into the season and told Sens fans he was going to put up twenty goals and thirty five points, you know they don't probably wouldn't be that like the points are maybe a little low, but again that kind of goes to you know a who he's playing with for the start of the year when they were getting some injuries he you know was Broussard playing 2c for a little bit and that meant he was playing with some depth and then now it's yeah he's maybe a bit out of his comfort zone in terms of where you would want him playing right with uh you know and I, I think it's he's in the right spot given the roster they have I don't think you could be playing him on that de facto third line with Mott and Declare both out um but yeah like he's been Good, you know, and, and again, he's on pace for 20 goals for his rookie campaign. Um, I think that, you know, there's you shouldn't have any complaints about that as, as a guy who, especially because it's not like, like Pinto was not Jake Sanderson either, right? Like Jake Sanderson, I mean, he's, again, he's blown past all expectations. But if you told me, yeah, the highest percentile of Jake Sanderson is this, I'd be like, yeah, okay, he's a number five pick, you know, um, highly touted, and then every game he played after getting drafted, people loved him more and more. Pinto was absolutely the same in terms of, you know, after he got drafted, it just the hype kept on coming. But um, let's not forget, like, this guy is, you know, it's not like he was a super high draft pick. He was, like, second, second, second round. round. Oh, yeah, the so second he, round, but second round, yeah. Exactly. So it's not like he was super high. He wasn't low either. But he's also coming off an injury that derailed his season last year. And, you know, he didn't get to play. He missed a year of development, essentially. Uh, at, at 21 years old. So yeah, to expect anything or to expect a, aggressively more than what he's brought, I think would have just been bad expectations on the, the whoever was expecting that, right? Like, he's yeah. Been, and and he's this, whatever he's doing this year is going to be good for him overall. Like he's getting tons of exposure and, and uh, tons of development time doing all these things 
getting to play with great line mates and and what have you. So I, it's all I have no issues with him. And if that's where he's projected production wise, and that's where he ends up. That's a fine year for me. It's just, hey, if we're talking about rookies, you just happen to be on the team in the same year. You got a super rookie on it, like, a, you know, I don't want to say generational, but like you got you got someone on there that that just, uh, um, you know, soared immediately. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, let's move on to MVP. I'll go first with those one. Cheat a little bit. Well, I'm not cheating. I I mixed it up a little bit uh, with my selection, just so we're talking about a couple different players here. Uh, I'm going to go Claude Giroux as my MVP this year, even though I did not have him even in the top two of my quote-unquote best forwards. And part of the reason I'm going to say that is definitely the impact he has clearly already had off the ice as well as on it. Um it is clear, you know, he chose here, which was a monumental thing already in the offseason, you know, the biggest free agent they've had ever since arriving here. All he's done is talk about how cool the city is, how much he loves the city. And I know this is not the way they thought this season was going to start. You know, all the hype that was in the offseason, going 500 through the first 41 games has got to be disappointing. I haven't heard a negative word out of his mouth, you know, and to the opposite of that, where, you know, every time I hear him talk, he's still talking about like how good it is to be with the young guys and how nice it is to see them growing and, and that they want to just keep taking steps forward as a team. And it's all about the team. You know, it's not him sulking that he's not, I mean, maybe it helps that Florida's not very good this year, but it's not him sulking that he didn't choose a cup contender or whatever to go play with. And then, you should shift to on ice. I mean, he has been absolutely unreal there too. 38 points in 41 games. He's third among all players. Tied tied for third with the Brinkett as well. Um, but third among all sense forward or players, uh, honestly, this year. Um, what even stands out more for me is much like Sanderson, and I mean, I almost expected, not expected, but like I've been really pleasantly surprised. I cannot remember like one play where I watched Giroux do something on the ice where I was like, what are you doing there? Like, it's just been everything he does, you know, he either, there's some nights where he's a little more quiet than other nights, but it is either you don't really notice him because he's not doing anything improperly, or you notice him because he's doing something very, very well, whether that's just, you know, making, distributing a pass on the power play. Um, um, you know, and that's another thing. He's been power play too, half the year and hasn't complained about it one bit, you know? Um, you know, but distributing a pass and, and five on five, like his vision is just absolutely insane. But I've also loved how he back checks on the puck sometimes too, especially coming out of the offensive zone, right into the neutral zone. I've, I've just found myself, and I don't know if this is backed up by stats at all. I found myself watching and I see him sometimes just like catching guys, maybe by surprise, almost on the back catch. And that forces something the other way. So just the all round, what he's meant to the culture on ice and off ice. Uh, I'm choosing Claude Giroux as the first half MVP here. Yeah, that's that is an amazing one. Like I, I feel you know in a lot of ways the same way as you uh, with what he's been able to provide. I think we may have forgotten and, and underrated the fact that he's been one of the best players in the NHL, for the majority of of his career. Right, he is effectively the Flyers' Alfie. Right, like yep. he he as far as what he's meant to the team, the, the production he's provided, uh, and so he's kind of aged and, and I, I feel like a lot of the same ways as well, because you don't really see, I don't feel like he's lost a step. Cause he was never the, you know, the, the biggest speedster out there, but he, he keeps up with the play just fine. There's no issues there. And uh, his hands are what they've always been. And again, he's got the leadership qualities and all the off ice things that we, we talked about um, that he's been, 
I think overshadowed just by you know some of the the great performances by the some of the younger guys in the team. I mean, talk about different get it all, uh, but I mean that that's an, another guy that he's he's actually uh, elevated. I think everyone he's played with, and I wanted to bring you brought it up, but I was going to bring it up. But you didn't like he has been a first power play guy his whole career with good reason. His production warrants it. And he's just been the odd man out this year because of what the Sens have as weapons there. And um, anytime he gets to have power play time, you get out there and you're like, oh, he sh-. there's no reason why he shouldn't be out there with, yeah. with the top unit as well because he's he's doing all the, the plays. He can thread that puck, you know, as well as anyone on the team uh, probably. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to argue with that. Uh, yeah. Although I will make a different choice than him, uh, so I I chose Timmy, and that's uh, it's kind of weird because I said Brady was the best forward, but I think uh, when when Timmy went down with an injury in December, uh, you saw how important he was. Like they they could not do the things as a team that that they had been doing in in you know certain phases up to that point. He's so dynamic. Uh, he's he's uh, been able to play like we talked about in all situations and I, I won't dwell on for too long because we did have you know chat about him for for quite a while but to me maybe it's most important for the long-term prospects that you see the this this player developing into the number one center uh, on a team that looks to be that he's he's moving in the direction where he's um, at the very least a point per game player and, and an all situations guy. And you need, if you're going to be considering yourself a contender down the road, you need that player and they are hard to find. And the yeah, fact he, that he's doing, he's doing it. Even is, as recently as like a year ago, we were kind of saying, or at least like I was fully saying this team is good. They got the pieces, but they need that number one center. And I think the fact was that Stutzel absolutely could be it, but we hadn't seen it at that time. Right. And it just, it wasn't sure. Well, I'm very convinced he is that number one center that they need to, yeah, build themselves in the contender. And that just makes, you know, the, the spoils of having a Norris into Pinto down the middle that much better because I think Norris is a, a fringe guy. But if he's your 2C, you know, yeah. like automatically, you were looking very, very good down the middle. And so I totally agree. The long-term prospects of what Stutzel's done, absolutely phenomenal this year. And with Norris going down, the the insulation for for Timmy at center is, is next to nothing, right? You you move Pinto up as a rookie is there underneath you, and then they kind of have uh, some other dudes that shouldn't really be anything more than depth players, right? At, at the center position at this point, so he's had to carry the load the the whole season, and uh, I'm really looking forward to. I don't know what Norris will give you when he comes back um, much, but just to have that insulation that's there. Uh, I think helps to me even more. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Having, you know, and even just the ability, because uh, I think one of the most exciting things to me about heading into this year is when this unit is healthy, having a top six and even a top nine, you can kind of rotate through and, and switch up if things aren't working is a really intriguing thing that the Ottawa Senators have not had in a very, very long time. But like, Anthony Duclair is a guy where if for whatever reason, Batherson isn't working on the number one right wing and, and you don't want to break up Sheru's line when healthy, like a guy like, uh, sorry, not Duclair. Um, Joseph. Joseph. Sorry. I apologize. 
we got the Panthers on the brain now. Um, uh, Matthew Joseph, but he, like he's a guy who he's probably not the long term fit up on a, a number one right wing spot, but he can slide up there and play if he needs to. It's the exact same with like if Norris is back and and healthy. Um, sliding Stutzla down to a second line is not a demotion for this team by any means. It's just switching up the guys he's playing with because you actually have six unreal forwards, and then that third line is very solid of capable NHLers when healthy as well. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, it, it's been really nice to see. And, you know, hopefully we get to see that depth get healthy again uh, as the year goes on because it's that's definitely what something – like even last night I was like, God, I'm watching way too much of Austin Watson right now. Like, mm. and God bless the guy, but, man, it felt like he was on every other shift. And it was like, oh, okay, well, I don't know if we need this. But, uh, all right, last one, and then we'll, we'll get out of here. Um, give me your most surprising player for the season. Okay, so like you said, I didn't know which way to take this. Is it like the most pleasant surprise, or is it the the one who is who is uh, surprised me by not maybe living up to their expectations? So I I picked two. <laughs> so for most pleasant surprise, I actually picked Talbot because uh, I was not sure what to expect from him. Yes, I know. Uh, I mean, as a, as an older goalie, last year he w- he was an all star, but that was the first half of the season, and then the second half, you know, he didn't really um you know continue with that trend and and you know for for a guy in his position he's he's sort of been in and out i wasn't sure if if he was what they thought or what they signed him for and uh he's not a world beater or anything uh he he's probably going to give you a you know a 915ish maybe a 920 uh save percentage for the year but the the fact that he's come in and and you do not have to Outside of maybe one or two games this season, you've ha- you haven't had to really examine the goaltending. And uh, I've always liked Forsberg. I like them here, but as as a tandem goalie, I don't know if he's necessarily a, a carry the load type guy. And they just found a perfect complement with with uh, Talbot here. So you know, at the halfway mark, I, I don't think there's anything uh, more than we could have asked for for what he's he's provided as a as the goalie and and I've just been pretty happy because I wasn't sure if he was going to be necessarily the the thing that they they wanted him to be and he has so that's great um yeah, I, I completely agree with I'll, I'll just go quick here I completely agree with that I, I think you know at the beginning when they brought Talbot in I was a big fan of the move just for exactly what you said Forsberg's good I'm not sure Forsberg's a 54 game a year good goalie right but you bring in two guys where each of them can play 40 to 48 pretty like, and if they need to, depending on how injuries go, obviously you set yourself up with a good tandem and that's exactly what they have. Yeah, exactly. I, it's uh it's one where I've, I've just been so happy this year not to have to like uh, rip my hair out about the goaltending, right? Like it, it's not, it's not amazing. They're not like winning. They're not necessarily winning a bunch of games, but they're not losing games because of goaltending. And that's something we could not have said <laughs> for quite a while so happy to have that there on the other end of the scale uh, i'm actually going to talk about joseph and not be like i love matthew joseph and um it's what i've been surprised with this year is that uh i didn't i never thought last year the the offense that he was providing when he came over that small sample size was was realistic like that's not what he's ever been but i thought there was enough there that you'd see him him provide a push from that third line and and uh for them to be you know somewhat of a 
you know, a semi-regular offensive threat. And it just, for whatever reason, I think his defensive numbers have been good. He's, I, I haven't minded him on the penalty kill. I wish he would uh, be a little bit more dangerous on the penalty kill, like I was talking about earlier, but he, he's been the, someone where it, it, the puck's not going in for him this year. And I think it's really hurt that, that third line. And uh, doing, cause it's, it's pretty much him. That's if it, if it's going to do something offensively, it, it's on him to do it, and maybe that's unfair for him. But uh, it it's I think where he probably lands is somewhere between what we saw when he came over and what we're we've seen the first half of the season as far as offensively. It's it's somewhere in the middle uh, where he maybe gives you. I, I don't. I would not have been surprised in a good year if he would, you know, be approaching 15 goals. And, and I, you know, that's not something that, that we're going to see from him this year. Uh, but I just, I love the way he plays. I just, I, I guess I was expecting uh, more. Yeah, it's weird too. Cause it was one, that line was really fun to watch for that, you know, that, that homestand that they had right at the beginning of the year where they, they took like four in a row and then, you know, kind of, it looked like they might've jumpstarted their season that third line was dominant all through it. And then, yeah, after that, it just kind of fell off a map where it's like, oh, they're just not noticeable most nights. And when they are, it's like chipping in a random goal here, but it's not because they created much. Like they're just, yeah, it's been pretty underwhelming. And I I definitely agree where I think the potential is definitely there still to do more. Um, And it'll be interesting to see as they get healthy, you know, how they mix players in, because honestly, I really like Jacob Luchini's game. You know, I mentioned how he was leading the team in expected goals, but just as a depth player, I thought he's been really good. And and honestly, I think his fought to earn a spot in that bottom six. And then, you know, I'll get to my surprises here. I had two, and I, again, this is just more to talk about different players, maybe. Um, my one up front for forwards, and it's more of a surprise because my expectations were so low, um, but it's Derek Broussard, actually. Um I didn't expect him to play at all for this team. I really thought he was going to be the the 13th forward. And he stepped in and done a fine enough job helping this team not absolutely crater its depth. He hasn't been great. He hasn't been amazing by any means. He looked out of place on the second line. But, like, they would be really screwed if they were going to have to play Mark Kostelik as, like, their second line or third line center for parts of this year, I think. And... Broussard has been at least enough of a stopgap to help that from happening. So he's been at least pleasant in terms of just like, I was not picturing him playing at all. And like, he's posting above 50% most of his possession metrics and just been a fine player. But the player I want to do, and this is going to sound weird because the dude has three points. uh, Eric Branchton has been my most surprising player. And again, you need to get over the mental space of expecting him to be more than what he is. Um, If you can accept that he is a third line defenseman, they won't use him as any more than that. You probably shouldn't expect him to be any more than that. And more importantly, he's not going to produce a ton of points. He has still been very, very good this year. Um, you know, he helps control play. The point totals feel like, and I, I kind of wonder if the point totals are lower because of how how bad Ottawa's depth has been this year. Um, I feel like if he was getting to pass to that top six a little more, he would just pick up some more assists naturally. And say so he's at zero goals, three assists. But like the way he has had confidence, not just like in the offensive zone, but in his own end to actually just take the puck and move it up up ice himself as a breakout machine has been pretty cool. And I just feel like he's been way better under pressure this year. You know, I think there's still sometimes where the small body gets boxed out a little bit, but I thought he's done a better job at like 
using knowing he's a smaller guy and using his body to get in there in the boards in the board battles and win pucks away as well uh eric branchum has been my most um surprising player of the year because he was another guy where i wanted him to have a fit i wasn't sure if there was going to be a fit on this team but i think he's carving himself a nice little niche as that third pair left-handed defenseman yeah i i uh i like that pick for you i uh for being a surprise, I think he has to battle. Like, I almost wonder if it's not going to be in this organization because he has to battle a couple things. Uh, one being that he's not necessarily as dynamic as advertised, right? Like, we, I think a lot of people, when they think of a small offensive defense, they're like, well, this guy is going to be able to, to really, uh, you know, carry the, the the puck up and be that that guy that maybe uh, makes a, a really cool move at the line to, to keep it. He's not really that like he has skill and, and he does a lot of things well. Uh, so that I think there's expectations around why, why. And that's why you're not seeing necessarily the, the points, but he does so many of those other things really subtly. Well, the other thing is what you mentioned is the, is the bottom pairing uh, that there is for whatever reason, uh, a lot of coaches, to be honest, and, and fans that feel like the bottom pairing shouldn't have room for a puck moving small guy. I don't think that's that's correct at all. I think you sh- you absolutely need that. Um, maybe it's a matter of of finding the right partner, mm-hmm. you know, that can complement. You know that. They, they both complement each other because a third pairing is not going to be perfect defensemen. You know, the, yeah. they're guys that there are some flaws in their games. That's why they're third pairings of defensemen. You can't have all great defensemen on your team. No one does. Um, but uh, he is, and I go back, like I've, I've watched this team since they, they started and the, when they had their best defense core, uh, you know, when, when they're going to the cup finals, their bottom pairing was Tom Pricing and Joe Corville. Those guys do not hit anyone. They are not particularly amazing defensively. Uh, they don't even put up a ton of points, although I guess Pricing had a decent year that year. But uh, they they were guys that could move the puck. And they were sheltered because the top four were so great. So their matchups, they came... And that's, I think, what the team should strive for. I If you if they don't go ahead with Brandstrom in the following year, they're going to be like, well, why is our third pairing suffering? And we're we're out there. We got guys that that are that are big and that can and hit and, and be physical and clear the crease and all that. And then we're sitting in our own the entire shift. So you need him there. And I, I love what he's done this year. The underlying number has been great. I think we should see that translate a little bit more. He's not playing on the power play. He probably never will with Sanderson here now. Right. Yeah. Uh, so he's not going to get his points like the, that. If you're a defenseman and you're not on a power play, you're you're not going to pick up a whole bunch of points regardless. So and that's something I think Ottawa can take advantage of when it comes to a contract negotiation. To me, that's a reason to sign him more because everything he's doing suggests he should have more points. It's not translating. And it's like, well, if the process is good, I'm okay taking a bet on that. And you could probably get him for half the price he would if he was exploding with a, a second power play unit, right? Exactly. And like I said, your third pairing, you got to lower the expectations of what you're you're getting from defenseman on there. And if he's someone that can be a positive uh, you know, uh possession player 
there and and be able to help you move out the puck that's all you need if you're concerned about the other elements of the game then find that in the partner is, yep. is i would i would say yeah exactly he'll always unfortunately be haunted you know if he was the small prospect that came back in a Derek Broussard deal at the deadline instead of the piece that Mark Stone was traded for and and marked as this next franchise defenseman or whatever, you know, like it just the, the expectations were never fair from him from day one. And, and I think that's unfortunately been a bit of a stumbling block in terms of the heads of fans. And even at times it feels like the organization in, in terms of that they don't want to accept that this is a very, very good third pair defenseman and nothing more even if that's a useful asset. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes, but uh, we've gone really long with this one. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, plug some stuff. Where can people find you and, and anything you want to plug? Really, I, I don't have much to plug. Really, just find me on Twitter, uh, at Defense Minister. That's where I usually put my thoughts out, out there. And otherwise, I'm just, uh, yep, I occasionally appear on on pods here in the, in the community and uh, I'm just always uh, carefully monitoring the sense. <laughs> absolutely uh, well thank you. this has been an absolute blast i'll have to have you on again down the road when there's even more to talk about perfect i appreciate the opportunity good chatting with you huge thanks to tyler for joining the podcast as always that was a lot of fun i hope everyone enjoyed uh as always you can find me on twitter at last word on sends as well as nhl sends and stuff uh you can find all my work at lastwordonhockey.com. we're doing a bunch of great stuff every day there so go check that out and uh thank you everyone for listening i'll be back at you next week